evening's reading, on which message will be based, is Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 51. Page 979, Matthew 13, 24 through 51. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of fat flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the age, end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom 
everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. Good, thanks very much for reading, Andrew. Let's pray together as we start. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would hear your voice this evening and that we would be very encouraged by what we hear. Amen. Well, have you ever wondered if being part of God's kingdom is worth it? I mean, it's a fair question to ask, isn't it? Perhaps you're the only Christian at your class at school or college, the only Christian in your halls at university, uh, the only Christian in your workplace or friendship groups. And so you'd be forgiven for thinking, this doesn't look too impressive, this, does it? I mean, if no one else is showing any real interest in Jesus, then maybe I should dial it back a bit too. Not, not turn away from him, but just draw back a little. Or maybe you walked in here this evening, had a look around and thought, well, there's about 50 people in here, with about 10,000 people living within a stone's throw of the building. Doesn't look too impressive, does it? If the other 99 plus percent of people in Bansford aren't showing any real interest in Jesus, then maybe we should take our foot off the pedal too. Not turn away from him, but just be a little bit less focused. Well, maybe you're not a Christian yet. You're here this evening just checking us out. Perhaps a friend dragged you along. And you look around and think, well, the preacher looks like a pretty impressive guy. <laughs> but everyone else? And if we can think that, 
living this side of Jesus' resurrection with a full account of everything we need to know about him and his plans for us sitting in our hands, well, just imagine how his first disciples felt. They've chosen to follow him, expecting God's king to bring in God's kingdom with a bang. Lots of people would decide to follow Jesus. They get to live in peace and prosperity under the rule of their new king. First century Israel was supposed to be a paradise. But all they've really seen is the crowd to be pretty non-committal. The people who should have been happy at Jesus showing up, well, they hated him and anyone associated with him. And so it's not a big surprise you get to this point in Jesus' ministry, and his first disciples must have been asking, what kind of kingdom is this? If most people hate it, and it seems to involve being unpopular, rejected, and persecuted, it's not unfair to ask, is a kingdom really worth being part of? So Jesus picks the perfect time to start addressing that question. And he tells them and us five things about the kingdom of heaven on earth that we need to know so that we don't get discouraged by what we see and experience. So five things about the kingdom of heaven on earth that will encourage us to believe that it's a kingdom worth being part of. Five things that would encourage us and cause us to keep living all out for him. Now, in a perfect sermon structure, Jesus would tell us three things. And we'd really dig into each one of those, but he doesn't. He gives us five. So we're going to look at them at a very high level. That's where we're going. And firstly, the kingdom of heaven on earth will coexist with the world until judgment day. It will coexist with the world until judgment day. Take a look down at verse 24, if you would. Verse 24. So Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed head, then the weeds appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Well, the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you might uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then you get the explanation in verse 36. So he left the crowd, went to the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, well, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Well, there are two farmers in a sowing competition. You've got Jesus, he's sowing his people in his world. People of the kingdom, Jesus calls them. And the devil, he's sowing his people in the world. That's people of the evil one, 
Jesus calls them. And just in case you're new and still getting to grips with what the Bible means by good, it's worth noting the good seeds, that's Christians, they're not good in and of themselves. If that was the case, Jesus wouldn't have to come to die for us. No, good seed is good because it's ready to hear and welcome the good news of Jesus. Anyway, while all this sowing is going on, the two lots of seed or two groups of people, well, they coexist together. So God's people and the devil's people living in the same world alongside each other. I don't suppose this comes as any great surprise, does it? We know that the world has Christians in it. That's people known by and ruled by Jesus. And we know the world has other people in it, people who are currently rejecting Jesus' rule. And I also don't suppose it's much of a surprise that one day Jesus will return to judge this world. If you're a Christian, you'll know that this world isn't the end of the story. This world will end when God decides it will end. And on that day, Jesus will judge everyone in it. And as he says here, he'll tear out the weeds and send them far away to a place that sounds quite terrible. And the wheat will then flourish living in God's kingdom of heaven in the new creation, with no sin, no evil, anywhere to be seen. So no big surprises there. I think the two surprises, though, are that there is evil in the kingdom, and that it's good for us that Jesus doesn't deal with it all now. Do you see that in verse 41? So the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. So there is evil in God's kingdom of heaven on earth until the last day. And that's a surprise, because we often think of God's kingdom over here with Jesus as king, and then the devil's kingdom over here with the devil kind of in charge of it. And when people become Christians, they move from the devil's kingdom to Jesus' kingdom. As if somehow Jesus wasn't in charge of the devil but we know that's wrong, don't we? Jesus rules over everything. That's everything good and everything evil. So it doesn't matter whether people like it or not, just like those protesters who waved the not my king thing at King Charles during his coronation. They might not want him to be their king, but he is, because he's the king of the whole kingdom, not just the people who like it. And the same is true with Jesus. He is king of every part of the universe. The devil is only allowed to do anything because Jesus allows it. The devil is not outside of Jesus' control. I think that's the first surprise. The second surprise is that it's good for us that Jesus doesn't finally deal with evil now. Again, in verse 28, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you might uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. So somehow it's better for us as Christians that we're not instantly transported to the kingdom of heaven in heaven now. How, how can that be true? How can it be better for us to be in God's kingdom of heaven on earth, living alongside the weeds, instead of being in God's kingdom of heaven in heaven, where we'll shine like the sun. And I think it's because without the weeds, God can't shape the wheat. 
So think about it like this. God promises throughout the Bible that he'll refine his people, getting them ready for the new creation. You know, we don't become Christians and attain instant perfection. I think we'd have to all acknowledge that. We need refining. We need to be made more like Jesus. And the way that God chooses to refine us, chooses to make us more like Jesus, is to allow us to experience some of the things that Jesus experienced at the hands of the world. So apathy, like he gets from the crowds. Rejection, like he gets from the religious leaders. Let down, like he gets from his disciples. Now, Jesus teaches us to love like he loves by giving us enemies we need to love. Jesus teaches us to trust him more by giving us challenges we know we can only overcome if he leads the way. He teaches us to rely on him more as we realize that much as we may love other people, he is the only one who will never let us down. The weeds play a great part in God's plan. So take those two surprises and be encouraged. Jesus rules over everything and everyone, regardless of whether they're Christians or not. There is not one person we will meet this week that's an exception to that rule. And don't be disheartened if it seems like the weeds are flourishing around us. Because Jesus is using them to perfect his people. And one day, at the right time, he will deal with the weeds once and for all. And his people will shine like the sun in the kingdom of heaven in the new creation. So be encouraged. Secondly, God's kingdom of heaven on earth will start small and grow dramatically. It will start small and grow dramatically. Take a look at verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So mustard seed, pretty small seed, you plant it in a field, it takes a bit of time, but it grows and grows, and it becomes a huge tree. Well, Jesus says, God's kingdom of heaven on earth is like that. It starts very small, so with Jesus showing up and starting to tell people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near, then he calls a small band of disciples, and he tells his disciples and the listening crowds that one day his mustard seed of a kingdom is going to be a huge tree. And if you put yourself in the shoes of those first disciples, it must all have seemed a bit nuts, mustn't it? Standing next to Jesus as he tells this parable to the crowds, watching the religious leaders glaring at him, watching the crowds being slightly bemused, not really understand what he's saying, but not interested enough to find out more. I mean, you can imagine the disciples looking at one another and thinking, really? How big is this kingdom going to get if most people either seem nonplussed by it or outright hostile to everything Jesus says? I mean, maybe you and I think the same sometimes. On a solid Sunday morning, maybe there's 200 of us in here, when you've got 10,000 people living within shouting distance of the building, when you've got 25,000 people going to watch Crystal Palace Football Club every week. Crystal Palace. And you think, huge tree? Really? Well, maybe it's time for a 21st century reality check. First century AD, 
Jesus and 12 disciples standing by the Lake of Galilee. 21st century AD, maybe somewhere between half a billion and a billion evangelical Christians around the world, maybe about 10% of the world's population. Yet when it grows, Jesus says, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds come and perch in its branches. See, it's all come true. Do you reckon those first disciples saw that coming? And by the way, this is a religion that loves those who don't agree with it, doesn't persecute them, doesn't welcome members by force or ostracize them when they depart, doesn't say that we're going to be popular or wealthy or promise us worldly success if we decide to follow the leader. In fact, as Jesus does in the chapters before this one and the chapters afterwards, he promises rejection by the world for those who follow him. A religion like that, growing by multiples of the general population growth over the last 2,000 years, we've had the luxury of seeing this parable come true in front of our very eyes. So praise God that he's grown his kingdom just like he said he would. Praise God that if you've put your trust in Jesus, you're part of the biggest success story this world has ever known. Praise God that we sit this side of 2,000 years of history, giving us great confidence we can believe every single word Jesus ever says. And if you're in the crowd tonight, in other words, if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, ask yourself, why is it his kingdom has grown so miraculously over the last 2,000 years? Maybe there's something in it. Maybe you should have a really good look at it for yourself. Thirdly, God's kingdom of heaven on earth will irreversibly impact the world. It will irreversibly impact the world. Take a look down at verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So a chef puts some yeast or leaven into her big pile of flour. The yeast or leaven works its way through it, takes a bit of time, but it changes it. It does something to the dough to make it rise. And I know absolutely nothing about cooking, but I think the impact is material, it's irreversible, and it makes the dough taste better. Jesus' point is simple. The kingdom of heaven on earth does the same thing to the world. It infiltrates it, it changes it, materially, irreversibly, and for the better. I'm not quite sure if this parable is talking about the gospel of the kingdom changing people as they turn from spiritual death to spiritual life, as they hear and welcome it, or whether it's talking about the positive impact on the world that the gospel of the kingdom has had over the centuries. I mean, both are true. But either way, Jesus is saying God's kingdom has been the biggest game changer this world has ever seen. I mean, Amazon's been a big game changer, of course. When Jeff Bezos founded Amazon in his garage in 1994, it didn't look very impressive. Every time they sold something, a bell used to, ri used to ring, the staff used to gather around and try and figure out if they knew who the customer was. Fast forward 20-odd years, and you can now order a roll of sellotape from pretty much anywhere in the world in the morning and have it pop through your letterbox before the 10 o'clock news. I cannot remember what life was like before Amazon. And yet, of course, the impact of Amazon is as nothing compared to the impact of the kingdom 
of heaven on earth. Because while Amazon can promise a sellotape today, it can't promise us sins forgiven, a welcome into God's family, eternal life starting now, guaranteed by the very presence of God living within us. The impact of Amazon's impressive. The impact of God's kingdom is in a completely different league. So praise God that his kingdom has irreversibly impacted us if we're Christians here this evening. And praise him for all the good his kingdom has done in the world. And don't be discouraged when you can't see the yeast working, when you can't see what God's doing, because you know he often works behind the scenes orchestrating things together for our good if we're his people. So don't be discouraged just because you can't see it. He is still working away doing the most amazing things. Fourthly, God's kingdom of heaven on earth is worth giving everything up for. It's worth giving everything up for. Take a look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Well, if we're Christians here this evening, we are rich. Because the kingdom we belong to is like treasure or a fine pearl. Whether we found it by accident, like the guy in the first parable... Or we went looking for it like the merchant in the second parable. When we found Jesus, the king of God's kingdom, who holds the keys to the kingdom and offers us a place in the kingdom, well, we hit the jackpot. We are rich. Rich even though we've given up everything to enter it. That doesn't mean we've sold all our stuff and are living on the street. But it does mean that we've taken all that we have and all that we are and put it at Jesus' feet and said, not my will, but yours. It's a kingdom worth giving everything up for, Jesus tells us in these two parables. That's how valuable it is. We have to ask ourselves, is that how we always think about the kingdom of heaven? Do we always think we've found the most valuable thing in the world? Or can it seem a bit mundane at times? Whisper it. Can it seem a bit of a drag on occasion? And if we're tempted to think like that, it's not a surprise our friends might think like that too. I mean, you can imagine the conversation between these two guys in our parable and their friends in the pub. You're giving up everything for a field. You're selling everything for a pearl. Can't you just find a halfway house or something? And you don't need to imagine, I'm sure you know, it can be exactly the same for us. It's okay that you're a Christian, if that's nice for you, if it floats your boat. But you're missing out on a night out to go to a prayer meeting. Why would you do that? You're missing out on a bit of luxury because you want to help a mission partner. Why would you do that? Well, if that's us, don't get disheartened. Instead, let's praise God for making us rich. We have the most valuable thing in the world. Let's celebrate that. And let's recommit to being willing to put everything that we are and everything that we have at Jesus' feet. Not my will, but yours. Whatever that means for each one of us, for our money, for our reputation, for our freedom, 
for our everything else. The kingdom of heaven on earth is worth so much more. It's so much more valuable than all those things put together. Lastly, God's kingdom of heaven on earth won't be purified until judgment day. It won't be purified until judgment day. Take a look at verse 47. Verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven on earth looks like a bit of a mixed bag. It attracts all kinds of people. Some will be true believers and some will be imposters, people who say they're part of the kingdom, but they're not. And when Jesus calls time on this world, the two groups will be separated. Not separated into good and bad people. If that were the dividing line, you'd have Jesus in one camp and everybody else in the other. No, it's a separation between the righteous and the wicked. So the righteous, that's those who share in Christ's righteousness because they've asked him for it. And the wicked, that's those who don't share in Christ's righteousness because they haven't asked him for it. The kingdom of heaven on earth looks like a bit of a mixed bag, and it will do until the day the king of the kingdom returns. It's worth being honest that this mixed bag of a kingdom can be a pretty frustrating place to live. You know, when it includes people who claim to be Christians, but don't follow Christ, who claim to be part of God's kingdom, but refuse to submit to God's son, when it includes politicians who claim Christ at the same time as promoting same-sex unions, when it includes church leaders who claim Christ at the same time as completely disregarding his words. And if this mixed bag of a kingdom of heaven on earth frustrates you, join the club. But let's remember our job is not to be judgmental. That's the job of the angels on judgment day, Jesus says. But while our job isn't to be judgmental... Our job is to be judicious. So judicious about things like who we as a church will partner with. Judicious about things like who we as a church will accept for membership. We have to be wise to the times, recognizing that not everybody who claims Jesus as Lord is actually one of his people. And of course, our other job is to warn people. The judgment that Jesus promises here for those who haven't trusted him sounds terrible. If we love people, we have to warn them. But the great truth of this final parable is that Jesus knows who his people are. He's not fooled by those who claim him and deny him at the same time. Jesus knows who his people are. And one day he will come and get us. It'll be a terrible day for those who've talked the talk of faith in Jesus but never really trusted in him. Let that not be any of us. But for those of us who have trusted in the one, the only one who ever walked the walk, well, that day will be the end of the slightly frustrating, slightly weak-looking, slightly challenging to live in kingdom of heaven on earth. And it will be the start of the eternal kingdom of heaven and the new creation. 
That's what we're waiting for. And it's that glorious kingdom of heaven and the new creation that really makes being part of the kingdom of heaven on earth now completely worth it. I want to just take a moment to reflect and then Trevor will come up.